Welcome to Lore Club, an audio narrative podcast where a bunch of friends from all over the internet come together to bring lore from our favorite games, fandoms, and more to life. Today, we're bringing you the next chapter of A Dance in Fire, a book of in-universe historical fiction from the Elder Scrolls series about the misadventures of the fantasy contract clerk Decimus Scotty. If you haven't listened to the first four chapters, you're going to want to check those out first, but if you're all caught up, let's hear chapter five of A Dance in Fire. will eat love straight ahead, stupid and a stupid cow. The voice boomed out so suddenly that Decimus Scotty jumped. He stared off into the dim jungle glade from which he only heard animal and insect calls and the low whistling of wind moments before. It was a queer, oddly accented voice of indiscriminate gender, tremulous in its modulations, but unmistakably human, or at least elven, an isolated Bosmer, perhaps, with a poor grasp of the Cyrodiilic language. After countless hours of plodding through the dense nod of Valenwood jungle, any voice of slight familiarity sounded wondrous. Hello? He cried. Beetles on any names? Certainly, yesterday, yes! The voice called back. Who, what, and when, and mice? I'm afraid I don't understand, replied Scotty, turning toward the brambled tree, thick as a wagon, where the voice had issued. But, but you needn't be afraid of me. My name is Decimus Scotty. I'm a Cyrodiil from the Imperial City. I came here to help rebuild Valenwood after the war, you see, and now I'm rather lost. Gemstones and grilled slaves. The war! Moaned the voice, and broke down into sobs. You know about the war? I wasn't sure. I wasn't even sure how far away from the border I am now. Scotty began slowly walking toward the tree. He dropped Reglius's satchel to the ground and held out his empty hands. I'm unarmed. I only want to know the way to the closest town. I'm trying to meet my friend, Leodus Eurus, in Sylvanar. Sylvanar! The voice laughed. It laughed even louder as Scotty circled the tree. <laughs> worms and wine! Worms and wine! Sylvanar sings for worms and wine! There was nothing to be found anywhere around the tree. I, I don't see you. Why are you hiding? In frustration born of hunger and exhaustion, he struck the tree trunk. A sudden shiver of gold and red erupted from a hollow nook above and Scotty was surrounded by six winged creatures, scarcely more than a few inches long. Bright, crimson eyes were set on either side of tunnel-like protuberances. The animals always opened mouths. They were legless, and their thin, rapidly beating aureate wings seemed poorly constructed to transport their fat, swollen bellies. And yet they darted through the air like sparks from a fire, whirling about the poor clerk. They began chattering what he now understood to be perfect nonsense. Wines and worms, how far from the border am I? Oh, I'm afraid I'm unarmed. Academic garnishments and alas, the closest town is your oblivion. Stolen all that wheat and indigo nimbus. But you needn't be afraid of me, Lady Sulika. Furious with the mimics, Scotty swung his arms, driving them up into the treetops. He stomped back to the clearing and opened up the satchel again, as he had done some hours before. There was still, unsurprisingly, nothing useful in the bag, and nothing to eat in any corner or pocket. 
a goodly amount of gold, he smiled grimly as he had done before, at the irony of being financially solvent in the jungle, a stack of neat blank contracts from Lord Vanek's building commission, some thin cord, and an oiled leather cloak for bad weather. At least, Scotty considered, he had not suffered rain. A rolling moan of thunder reminded Scotty of what he had expected for some weeks now. He was cursed. Within an hour's time, he was wearing the cloak and clawing his way through mud. The trees, which had earlier allowed no sunlight in, provided no shelter against the pounding storm and wind. The only sounds that pierced the pelting of rain were the mocking calls of the flying creatures, flitting just above, babbling their nonsense. Scotty bellowed at them, threw rocks, but they seemed enamored of his company. While he was reaching to grab a promising-looking stone to hurl at his tormentors, Scotty felt something shift beneath his feet. Wet but solid ground suddenly liquefied and became a rolling tide, rushing him forward. Light as a leaf, he flew head over feet overhead until the mud flow dropped and he continued forward, plunging down into a river 25 feet below. The storm passed quite as instantly as it had arrived. The sun melted the dark clouds and warmed Scotty as he swam for the shore. There, another sign of the Khajiiti incursion into Valenwood greeted him. A small fishing village had stood there once, so recently extinct that it smoldered like a still warm corpse. Dirt cairns that had once housed fish by the smell of them had been ravaged, their bounty turned to ash. Rafts and skiffs lay broken, scuttled, half-submerged. All the villagers were no more, either dead or refugees far away, or so he presumed. Something banged against the wall of one of the ruins. Scotty ran to investigate. My name is Decimus Scotty, sang the first winged beast. I'm a Cyrodiil from the Imperial City. I came here to help rebuild Valenwood after the war, you see, and now I'm rather lost? I swell to masculate, ape neck, agreed one of its companions. I don't see you. Why are you hiding? As they fell into chattering, Scotty began to search the rest of the village. Surely the cats had left something behind. A scrap of dried meat, a morsel of fish sausage, anything. But they had been immaculate in their complete annihilation. There was nothing to eat anywhere. Scotty did find one item of possible use under the tumbled remains of a stone hut. A bow and two arrows made of bone. The string had been lost, likely burned away in the heat of the fire, but he pulled the cord from Reglius's satchel and restrung it. The creatures flew over and hovered nearby as he worked. The convent of the sacred Leonis Eurus? You know about the war. Worms and wine. Circumscribe a golden host, ape neck. The moment the cord was taut, Scotty knocked an arrow and swung around, pulling the string tight against his chest. The winged beasts, having had experience with archers before, shot off in all directions in a blur. They needn't have bothered. Scotty's first arrow dove into the ground three feet in front of him. He swore and retrieved it. The mimics, having likewise had experience with poor archers before, returned at once to hovering nearby and mocking Scotty. On his second shot, Scotty did much better, in purely technical terms. 
He remembered how the archers in Falinesti looked when he pulled himself out from under the Horvor tick, and they were all taking aim at him. He extended his left hand, right hand, and right elbow in a symmetrical line, drawing the bow so that his hand touched his jawline, and he could see the creature in his sight like the arrow was a finger he was pointing with. The bolt missed the target by only two feet, but it continued on its trajectory, snapping when it struck a rock wall. Scotty walked to the river's edge. He had only one arrow left, and perhaps, he considered, it would be most practical to find a slow-moving fish and fire it at that. If he missed, at least there was less of a chance of breaking the shaft, and he could always retrieve it from the water. A rather torpid, whiskered fish rolled by, and he took aim at that. My name is Decimus Scotty, one of the creatures howled, frightening the fish away. Stupid and a stupid cow! Will you dance a dance in fire? Scotty turned and aimed the arrow as he had done before. This time, however, he remembered to plant his feet as the archers had done. Seven inches apart, knees straight, left leg slightly forward to meet the angle of the right shoulder. He released the last arrow. The arrow also proved a serviceable prong for resting the creature against the smoking hot stones of one of the ruins. Its other companions had disappeared instantly after the beast was slain, and Scotty was able to dine in peace. The meat proved to be delicious, if scarcely more than a first course. He was picking the last of it from the bones when a boat sailed into view from around the bend of the river. At the helm were Bosmer sailors. Scotty ran to the bank and waved his arms. They averted their eyes and continued past. You bloody callous bastards! Scotty howled. Knaves! Hooligans! Ape-necks! Scoundrels! A gray-whiskered form came out from a hatch, and Scotty immediately recognized him as Griff Mallon, the poet-translator he had met in the caravan from Cyrodiil. He peered in Scotty's direction, and his eyes lit up with delight. Decima Scotty! Precisely the man I hoped to see. I want to get your thoughts on a rather puzzling passage in the Noria playbook. It begins... I went weeping into the world searching for wonders. Perhaps you're familiar with it. I like nothing better than to discuss the Noria play bar with you, Griff. Scotty called back. Would you let me come aboard, though, first? Overjoyed at being on a ship bound for any port at all, Scotty was true to his word. For over an hour as the boat rolled down the river past the blackened remains of Bosmury villages, he asked no questions and spoke nothing of his life over the past weeks. He merely listened to Malin's theories of Merethic Aldmeri Esoterica. The translator was undemanding of his guest's scholarship, accepting nods and shrugs as civilized conversation. He even produced some wine and fish jelly, which he shared with Scotty absentmindedly, as he expounded on his various theses. Finally, while Malin was searching for a reference to some minor point in his notes, Scotty asked, Rather off subject, but I was wondering where we're bound. The very heart of the Providence, Sylvanar, Malin said, not looking up from the passage he was reading. It's somewhat bothersome, actually, as I wanted to go to Woodhurst first to talk to a Bosma there who claims to have an original copy of Dereth Yalmilchard, if you can believe it. But for the time being, that has to wait. Somerset Isle has surrounded the city and is in the process of starving the citizenry until they surrender. It's a tiresome prospect, since the Bosmeri are happy to eat one another. So there's a risk that at the end... Only one fat wood elf will remain to wave the flag. That is vexing, agreed Scotty, sympathetically. To the east, the Kajiti are burning everything, and to the west, the high elves are waging war. I don't suppose the borders to the north are clear? They're even worse, replied Malin, finger on the page, still distracted. The Cyrodiils and Red Guards don't want Bosma refugees streaming into their provinces. 
It only stands to reason. Imagine how much more criminally inclined they'd be now that they're homeless and hungry. So... Murmured Scotty, feeling a shiver. We're trapped in Valenwood? <laughs> Not at all. I need to leave fairly shortly myself, as my publisher has set a very definite deadline for my new book of translations. From what I understand, one merely petitions to the Sylvanar for special border protection, and one can cross into Cyrodiil with impunity. Uh, petition the Sylvanar, or petition at Sylvanar? Petition the Sylvanar at Sylvanar. It is an odd nomenclature that is typical of this place. The sort of thing that makes my job as a translator that much more challenging. The Sylvanar, he, or rather, they are the closest the Bosmeri have to a great leader. The essential thing to remember about the Sylvanar. Malin smiled, finding the passage he was looking for. Yeah, yeah, a fortnight. Inexplicable. The world burns into a dance. There's that metaphor again. What were you saying about the Sylvanar? The essential thing to remember? I don't remember what I was saying. Replied Malin, turning back to his oration. In a week's time, the little boat bumped along the shallow, calmer waters of the foaming current the Xylo had become, and Decumus Scotty first saw the city of Sylvanar. If Falinesti was a tree, then Sylvanar was a flower. A magnificent pile of faded shades of green, red, blue, and white, shining with crystalline residue. Malin had mentioned offhand, when not otherwise explaining Aldmeri prosody, that Sylvanar had once been a blossoming glade in the forest. But owing to some spell or natural cause, the tree's sap began flowing with translucent liqueur. The process of the sap flowing and hardening over the colorful trees had formed the web of the city. Malin's description was intriguing, but it hardly prepared him for the city's beauty. <sighs> what is the finest, most luxurious tavern here? Scotty asked one of the Bosmer boatmen. But why not stay with me? I'm visiting an acquaintance of mine, a scholar I think you'll find fascinating. His hovel isn't much, but he has the most extraordinary ideas about the principles of a merithic Aldemari tribe. The Sarma- uh, Under any other circumstances, I would happily accept, said Scotty, graciously. But after weeks of sleeping on the ground, or on a raft, and eating whatever I could scrounge, I feel the need for some indulgent creature comfort. And then after a day or two, I'll petition the Sylvanar for safe passage to Cyrodiil. The men bade each other goodbye. Griff Mallon gave him the address of his publisher in the Imperial City, which Scotty accepted and quickly forgot. The clerk wandered the streets of Sylvanar, crossing bridges of amber, admiring the petrified forest architecture. In front of a particularly estimable place of silvery reflective crystal, he found Prithala Hall. He took the finest room and ordered a gluttonous meal of the finest quality. At a nearby table, he saw two very fat fellows, a man and a Bosmer, remarking how much finer the food was here than at the Sylvanar's palace. They began to discuss the war and some issues of finances and rebuilding provincial bridges. The man noticed Scotty looking at them, and his eyes flashed recognition. Scotty, is that you? Kenrith, where have you been? I've had to make all the contacts here on my own. At the sound of his voice, Scotty recognized him. The fat man was Leodus Huris, vastly engorged.
Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You just heard the fifth chapter of A Dance in Fire. We'll be continuing this story in the next episode, so get subscribed if you aren't already. And hey, while you're at it, tell a friend about us and say hi online. You can find us everywhere at lore underscore club. And you should know that sharing our show is the best way to support it. Our cast this time around included Alexander Alston as Decimus Scotty, Nicholas Gray as Griff Mallon, Jason Causey as Leodis Uris, Jaws as Mimic 1, Jin De La Vega as Mimic 2, and myself as narrator. Our intro and outro music is by me, and available to you for the low, low price of royalty-free. Our artwork is by Jonathan Dockel. This episode was edited and produced by me, Joseph R. Strong. You can find everyone's links, additional credits, and a transcript of today's production in the show notes at thefanet.com slash loreclub. That's T-H-E-F-A-N-E-T dot com slash loreclub. Thank you.